and welcome to a special edition of the Talking Talkie podcast. Um, this evening, uh, I'm Sam Drift, and this evening I'm joined by Stephen Dixon. Hello. And very special guest, BT National League commentator, Adam Summerton. How are you, Adam? I'm very well. How are you two? Yes, good. Especially after the last couple of results we've had. Yes, um, I bet, yeah. Yeah, we're speaking to you, obviously, after Talkie. have had a 6-1 win against Oldershot and a dramatic two-wheel draw with uh, Derby County. Um, Adam, I want to speak to you about, obviously, BT and the National League. You, you've been commentating, leading the BT commentary from the National League for some time now. How did you get into it? And, and were you kind of following the National League prior to, to getting into it? Um, well, I got into it, really, because I, I suppose I've just been, since I started at BT, I was there from when it very first launched. Um, I believe it was the summer of 2013, so it's, it's coming up to 10 years. And I've just sort of been climbing the ladder there, really, for quite a while. And one of the things that I was really keen to do was sort of on-site uh, commentary on, on you know, domestic competitions, because I'd got in there originally commentating on things like Ligue 1 and, and Serie A, which I absolutely love doing. I mean, I, I'm still covering... Uh, Serie A now every Sunday night but a way of me sort of moving up the ladder was to do more what we would call in the business on-site stuff actually there and, and getting amongst it and being part of full OBs and when the opportunity opportunity came around to do that um, initially they, they just sort of said because it was at the time you might remember Steve Bauer who also does stuff for match of the day he was doing the, the nationally commentary as well and then his commitments with match of the day I think it meant made it more difficult for him to do the national league in the slot that they had it at the time so I think they were looking around internally at who, who can we sort of push towards doing this and and I was the person who they decided to give a go on it and I, and I did it and got into a run of games with it and still doing it now amongst many other things so that was the sort of the, the short version of how I got into it really. Adam I, I um I studied sports journalism at uni and we had we had John Roder in with us which was, was was your kind of first stint of commentary then in those kind of booths where you know because he, he said he's he, the lion's share of his early commentary uh, or, or in recent years is is like commentating for bet 365 but you're just sat in a booth watching it on a screen trying to commentate is that did you do some of that as you as you started I've done all sorts of, of different things um a lot of the world a lot of the world feed stuff that I did before I worked at BT Sport that was you know commentating on different European leagues um international games that would all be done off tube so you would do it yeah from um very often I would work at uh, IMG and, and still do in uh, Uxbridge as it is now. Is at Chiswick back then. Uh, one of the first leagues I covered on the world feed was the Eredivisie. Uh, more than a decade ago now, I was covering that. I really enjoyed it, loved it. It was a great, uh, learned a lot from covering it. It was the first league that I covered, European league that I covered. Um, I'd done sort of Europa League and Champions League games for the world feed in the past. Obviously, people in the UK are probably not really familiar with a lot of the world feed stuff because you, you don't get it without really having to look for it because it, naturally it's the world feed so um but yeah I mean a lot of these things are done from um remote locations you, you I mean for example a lot of the European stuff at BT is done from Stratford near the Olympic Stadium um and yeah that's just the the, the way that these things are done I mean it's extremely rare that you would hear a European game on uh, UK TV that it isn't done from the UK. I mean, I suppose, you know, for example, if Channel 4 are covering an England game, they will be at the game. But um, if you're doing you know, La Liga or Serie A, more often than not, not 100% of the time, but more often than not, it will be done remotely. So I think, I think your vast majority of 
of experienced commentators will have done a fair bit of, of off tube stuff. I think if you ask again, if you ask any commentator, you would always rather be there for, for many different reasons. Um, you see the whole pitch the whole time it's, and you, it's not you picking what you're looking at. It's you picking what you're looking at rather than the, the director as well, which is another thing because you, you you choose what you're looking at. So there's there's lots of different reasons why you'd want to be at the game, but it's not always possible. So, you, you yeah, it is quite common. You can tell you're a pro at this because you just you jumped all over my next question, which is going to be why uh, why it's better to be at the game. But I assume, I assume you commentators are all always saying, yeah, get me out the game, get me out the game. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, you would always rather be there for, a, as I say, I mean, another reason would be that uh, particularly with where the access is a little bit easier for something like the National League, you've got that ability to literally go and knock on the manager's office door or go and sit and have a cup of tea with them. And the more times that you do that, the more contacts you build, the easier that is to do. You People get to know you, they get to trust you, and you're able to do that more readily, more easily. So, and that is a great benefit of covering a league like the National League. It's a lot, it's a lot easier to knock on um, you know, on, on a National League manager's door than it is maybe Jurgen Klopp's door or Pep Guardiola's door, you know, the, the access and, and getting, you know, being able to phone them up and talk to them about their team is a lot easier as well. But uh, yeah, this, it's, it's always going to be preferable to be at the game. But I think all commentators accept and understand that, um, particularly when you're covering European leagues, you can imagine the costs associated of sending an entire crew to somewhere like Milan for a weekend as opposed to just doing it remotely. Um, you know, it's difficult for companies. And, and so therefore you have to accept and understand that a lot of the stuff you do is going to be remote. I want to bring you back to one of your earlier comments, actually. Um, obviously, when talking were previously in the, well, at the, at the time, the conference, um, Satan Sports had the coverage and Steve Bauer was the lead, lead commentator on that. When you kind of took more of a lead role on, on the National League, did he give you any tips of, kind of what it's like and anything to look out for in the National League? No, 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 nothing at all. Um, I think as a as a commentator, you look to find your own way with a lot of things. You will, you know, naturally phone people and and we all, commentators are a very strange breed, really. Um, we, we all sort of stay in touch, but I mean, I can only speak personally is that it's very rare that I'll sort of ask somebody for information or that I'll try and pick another commentator's brains. I'll always... I'd rather do it myself, really, um, and I'd rather find things out for myself. So, no, I mean, I, I mean, I can't speak for Steve. I don't know whether it was anything that I thought that ever came into his mind, but it wasn't really something that I ever thought about, really, because I was just I'm quite single minded, really, um, with research and, and things like that. So I just wanted to go out and, and find it all out for myself, really. So it wasn't really no, it wasn't really something that I did that. No. And obviously, you, you've been covering it for a little while now. In the time that you've been working on the National League, are, are, are there any teams, players and managers that have really stood out in that time as that you've really enjoyed watching and, and have had that extra bit of quality? Wow. Um, yeah, I've been doing this a, a number of years. So, yeah, I, th I think there's, I, I mean, to be honest, there's been so many, so many different players, the great stories that we've had. Your club was you know, a big part of one of the, although it didn't quite go for you guys, I'm sure you probably want to talk about that, but mm. uh, yeah, heads in hands already at the at the prospect of talking about that. But yeah, I mean, that was one of the big stories. We've had some unbelievable moments. I mean, 
I was just remembering with Adam Virgo the other day, a Dover game that we did where Ricky Miller, you remember Ricky Miller, the season he had where, I mean, he that was a fantastic story in itself, Ricky Miller and all the goals, more than 30 goals, I think he scored that season. You know, you've had the Salford City story. We had Macclesfield. I was just we're doing York at the weekend. So I was, I was just reading up on, reminding myself about John Askey's career and remembering the Macclesfield side that he somehow really against the odds took to the league title. Um, year after year after year, you know, you've got Grimsby's incredible, probably never to be repeated playoff um, campaign of last season. Uh, Tranmere finally getting up and having a player sent off in the promotion final after about 30 seconds and still winning the game. It's just, I mean, I could go on and on and on every single year. There are big moments. There are fantastic stories. Uh, and and that's the reason a reason why it is so good to cover. You just guarantee to get those stories year in year out. They can be hard luck stories, they can, stories that can be stories of success against the odds. They can be something like Wrexham that we've got right now, where it's grabbing the national and world media's attention. You've got someone like um, Frank Rothwell going in at Oldham. You know, somebody who's lived there for fifty years and has the the, the town and and the club in his blood, and goes in and rescues the club. I mean the amount of stories that you get at this level of football and hard luck stories as well, you know, players who've been released by Premier League academies, for instance, and have found themselves on hard times, struggling to find a club, struggling to get a contract and, you know, they get a chance and maybe they work their way up or you've got the, you know, the rough diamonds. We get so many of those. That's another reason why it's a great level of football to cover, you know, Sorba Thomas being an example at Huddersfield right now, somebody who has been spotted, um, Max Kilman at Wolves is another example. The greatest example of them all is Jamie Vardy, who's gone on to play for England. And, you know, there is so many times that you, you see players and you think, oh, I wonder whether how far they could go. And you speculate whether they could make their way into the Football League. And it's just it's so many reasons why it's a great level of football to cover. How, how is it different for you as a, as a commentator? I, I just assume it's it's... Like in terms of preparing for a game, how is it different for you covering the National League versus, you know, a, a big European game? I, I'm assuming it's almost, on one, on one way, I, I feel like it must be harder to find information because of, there's less internet resources around National League clubs. But is that the case? Because you, as you said earlier, you, you can knock on managers' doors and, and get contacts that way. Yeah, I mean... It swings and roundabouts because in some ways it's easier, in some ways it's it's harder if you're covering a big European game because particularly if you're covering a British club for a British audience, a lot of the people who are watching the game will know their club inside out. They'll know all the latest news lines. They'll know maybe a, something quirky that a, you know, a player has, has said or done. And, and it's so therefore you have to look that maybe that bit much deeper to, to find things that people don't already know in terms of the colour for your commentary. Whereas with a National League club, the information, as you, you're right, isn't as readily available. There aren't necessarily the same column inches. So it's, yeah, it, it's in some ways they are actually still quite similar. I mean, I, I would put in a similar amount of time perhaps for a, a National League game as I would for a, a Champions League game or a Europa League game or a Premier League game. But you might find your sources of information in different areas. You know, if I'm covering Juve and Lazio at the weekend, as I am, I might be translating Italian online, Italian newspapers to find some quotes from managers or players or little stories and little lines that I can use in the commentary. Whereas for... You know, the York Altrincham game, Altrincham York game, I should say, that I'm doing at the weekend. You know, I might be looking to the local paper in York for information or phoning up a local reporter or maybe even speaking to, to John Askey. So 
Whereas with the Italian game, I'll be looking to try and get a copy of the the, the, the quotes from Allegri's press conference. So they're all it's all very different. But in terms of the, the time that you would spend, I would say that it would be relatively similar. It's just the yeah, the sources of information may be quite considerably different. How how challenging was it commentating on games during COVID when there were no fans? At? Um. Well, in some ways, it was just nice to be able to watch football and, and and do my job, really. So, yes, it was a bit weird and a bit strange, but you kind of look beyond that. And I also felt I can't again, I can't speak for other people or the commentators, but I just felt a little bit of a weight of responsibility as well. Not that it, it was something that um, I say a weight. It wasn't a weight. It was, I suppose, in some ways it was. Um, it was a gift, really, to be able to do your job and, and watch football matches and go to live football matches as well, when basically hardly anybody else could. Um, so, th- yes, there were challenges with it. Commentating in an e- empty stadium is quite weird. And um, I think sometimes maybe you overcompensated a little bit in terms of you felt you had to generate maybe that bit more um, excitement or in your voice where, or to make up for the fact that there wasn't a crowd. It was it was very strange. Um and sometimes as a commentator, particularly when you, you're, you've got a big crowd, you know, when I'm talking at a Champions League game, you know, I was at Spurs just recently, for example, and you know that when the ball hits the back of the net, particularly for the home team, you can give it a bit longer to breathe before you then back up. So you might call a goal and say Kane scored, and then you might leave it two, three, four seconds because the the noise of the crowd is part of the whole experience for the people at home. They want to hear the noise of the crowd. You don't necessarily need to talk over that moment. In fact, it can sound better if you just let it breathe. Whereas, of course, if there's no crowd, there is maybe that extra onus on you to say something, whereas perhaps... You might not have done before because if you just leave it as as dead air, it's it might sound a little bit strange. So there's little quirky things like that that people at home might not even necessarily think about. I, I remember when we had the fake crowd noise piped in. I was doing a Newcastle against Liverpool at St James Park, and I had a real sort of <laughs> real uh, nervy moment when somebody I don't know whoever was pressing the buttons for the appropriate crowd noise for the appropriate moment on the pitch had the ball had had gone well wide of the post and whoever was pressing the buttons had pressed the obviously pressed the button for a goal <laughs> so 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 the noise that came in my ears was of uh, for a goal and i'm thinking whoa have i missed something you know have i completely called that wrong so that was that was a bit of a weird moment because of course for a commentator to get something like that wrong is um is not good so um yeah that was a bit of a, a weird nervy moment but yeah in, in summary it was just something that you had to get through that you you had to take the positives from but it's not something i would wish to repeat now i mean doing doing german games bundesliga games as we did as well from my spare bedroom with my children sat behind me playing on their nintendos was a very <laughs> surreal uh, experience and going downstairs and making uh, cups of tea at half time and then yeah they're, they're very surreal and as i say i hope for obvious reasons we don't have ever have to go back there really. um one of the things i wanted to ask was what your relationship with adam virgo is like because it seems like you've got a really good, some really good chemistry. Obviously, you do a lot of the games together. And, um, you know, is that something that builds up over time? And do, if you ever comment or you've got someone else on co-commentary, is it, is it is it harder to kind of get that that chemistry and that balance with someone else when you do it with someone, so oft, someone else so often? Well, it's like any relationship, really. Um, 
working relationship, I suppose, in all kinds of relationships are the same. They, they, they develop and they get better and, and you develop an understanding more over time. So when you, when you are placed with somebody completely new, you, it's just impossible to have that sort of chemistry or that relationship that you might have with someone you've done dozens or even probably in mine and Adam's case, it's probably more than dozens now. It must be into the hundreds of games that we've done together. So you start to build that understanding of when one will talk or where one will pick up. You don't even really need to look at each other. You just know, they know when you're finishing a sentence or they know where something's happening where you might not talk. I mean, I would always say to any new commentator who I work with is that, you know, they will say to me, what do you want from me? Or I'll say, well, tell me something that I don't know. You know, point out something on the pitch that I can't put, that I might not necessarily see because I'm not an ex-footballer. You know, that's what you're there for. You're there to tell the viewers and to tell me and things that we wouldn't necessarily point out. So that's something if I'm ever asked that, I would always say that to a co-commentator. Um, and, and as well, I think it's just, you have to learn the mechanics of it as well, particularly someone who's new to it as a co-commentator, because there are there are mechanics to it. Um, um, I mean, one of the very first things, again, that I would say to any co-commentator is, look, it might bleed over slightly, but replays are your domain. I'll, I'll try and not talk over replays and let you, you know, have that opportunity for analysis. You know, as I say, it might bleed over occasionally, um, but I would always, particularly for a goal, I would always try and get said what I need to say before the replay comes back in. So, yeah, I mean, with Adam, Adam's great because Adam does his research and I know I can rely on him and I know that he knows his subject. Um, he's an excellent co-commentator. He's good at an, analysing things, but he's also good on the um, on the, the side of things where he, like I say, he knows the subject. So, he, and it won't just be statistical information that he's got from a stat pack either. He'll know what's going on at the particular clubs. He'll go to the... He will take the opportunity to phone up maybe a local newspaper journalist in that area. He might speak to the manager before the game. He'll be up to date with what's going on at that particular club. So I know it gives me confidence because, and there are many other commentators who I could say this about as well, by the way, it's not just Adam, where I know that they know their subject. So I know that if I throw them a line in the commentary, I know that I won't just get a blank look back. I know I'll get a good solid answer and something that might further a bit of conversation. So that gives me confidence, which then it all sort of rolls on. So it helps the entire broadcast because if you've got confidence in, in each other as a team and as a partnership, um, then that will show on air. And I think it gives authority to the broadcast as well. Which uh, leads us on to the next question. Is it, who's the worst co-commentator? No, <laughs> <laughs> um, no so just, to, just to come back to, to this season, you know, um, National League, uh, uh, typical twists and turns as 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 we get in any National League season. What's what's your take on it being so far? Like, do do you, do you get time to kind of have a think about how teams are going, or are you kind of in that in that uh, in that kind of preparation mode the whole time? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've just had probably my busiest ever month in October, and if I'm honest, you do get into a little bit of a. If I call it a grind, that makes it sound like it's a it's a bad thing. It's a it's a burden. It isn't at all. The the, the prep for these games are labors of love. If they're not, you're in the wrong business, really. But when you you are doing so many games, and this is partly because of the World Cup, every a lot of things have have been truncated, primarily the Europa League and the Champions League. 
um, and, and the conference league. So you do get into a bit of a mindset of, right, let's, let's get through this particular game. And then almost as soon as your mic's been put down, you're onto the next game. And there isn't a massive amount of time for reflection, but yeah, I mean, you do think about the league and you think about the, the possibilities. Obviously a lot of people have been talking about the title race and it looks like it will be between Notts County and Wrexham and, um, that is something that, that, yeah, I've thought about. I mean, but the, the great thing about the National League as well is it's so competitive in terms of the playoff places too. Uh, um, so that is something that's always going to keep you interested and, and you're looking at the, the clubs who are involved in that. And it, it's it, very often with the National League, it can be, it, you can have a run, you can look out of it and then you can have a run of three or four games where you might string some results together and suddenly a team can be you know, lower mid-table to challenge him for the playoff places. So it, it, any form of consistency at that level can lead to a great progress very quickly for a team. So you're always looking out for you know who's putting a run of form together. I mean, up until last night, I suppose you could still say South End, for example, have been a team who've, who've put a run of form together and now are, you know, their, their season, they're looking a lot more optimistic. They're sixth, you know, they drew with knots last night. So that, that's an example of a side who's put a run of form together and suddenly are really looking up. So th- there's just always great stories right throughout the league. I mean, I'm looking at, at, at the table now um, and you drawn, your eyes are drawn as well to the relegation battle, which I know is going to be a sore point for you guys. But, you know, you've got you've got such a mix of teams in there, haven't you? I mean, you've got Yeovil, who in, in not too distant memory were playing in the championship. You've got Scunthorpe, who came down from League Two. Um, you've got Gateshead, who won the National League North title last season. Um, you've got Oldham in 19th. What a story they are as well. So it's right throughout the league. There are always things to, to focus the mind and keep you occupied. And, and whatever live game we have, I know that there will be things that I can look to for, for narratives, for lines, for storylines, for subplots, always guaranteed for that. And that's another reason why I like the league so much. I'm never scratching around looking for reasons to to give to the viewer to want to watch this game. They, they, they're usually already there for me. And even if you're even if you're bottom of the National League, you can win 6-1 out of nowhere. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there you go. There's another great example. Um, you know, I had a Notts County fan uh, text me, bef- I think it was about two or three days before that Torquay win. And they were saying, look... What what about Torquay? I mean, they were so bad against us. You know what what's going on there? And I said, well, you know, you've got to know the story. You've got to see what's happened. You've got to see what the club's been through. You've got to see you know, how close they came to promotion. How they've lost nearly all their squad. And was explaining all that to him. And then, of course, I think it was the very next game. You won six one, and I just texted him Torquay dot 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 <laughs> to say, you know, look look at what they've just done after what you were saying the other day. So yeah, I mean, it can make fools of us, can't it? This league, it does year in year out. It really can make fools of you and anybody, particularly clubs coming down from um, coming down from League Two who underestimate it. Are, are nearly always in for a rude awakening. It, it underestimate this level of football at your peril, really. So we've mentioned uh, Torquay a couple of times, and obviously we are a Torquay podcast. So the obvious thing to speak about would be uh, the promotion final at Ashton Gate a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, for us, it was a strange season because we couldn't go to most of the games apart from a handful. Because I think it was sort of October, November time. They, yeah, it must have been October time. They briefly let an, a limited amount of fans back in, and then at the end of the season, again, a limited amount. But the playoff final, there's a couple of things I want to touch on. The first, and I'm not sure if you're allowed to give opinions too much, but Torquay had two disallowed goals. Um, 
it took some doing, but I managed to rewatch the the goals a while ago. Do, do you think Torquay were maybe robbed that day? Like, I must admit, I think we all Torquay fans do. But do, do you think that the referee got those calls right, especially the first one? Well, a little like you, I would have to go back and watch them again in sort of the cold light of day. It's been a long time since I've watched that game back. But I do remember feeling at the time um, that, you know, it was questionable. Um, that's the best answer I can give you right now without Fair going back and, and watching them again. I did feel that it was questionable. Um, it was a final that, I mean, I know I'm, I'm sort of stating the blindingly obvious here, but it, it really could have gone either way. I mean, it was so tight. Um, and, you know, I remember even actually in the commentary thinking the side that misses out here, and I didn't say this on air, but at the time, I remember that the side that misses out here is going to be a long way back for them. That was that was just the, the feeling that I got. And, and I remember when we were walking away from the stadium, I remember saying to Adam, you know, how how much I really felt for Torquay because they were so unlucky on the day. Um, I remember saying to Adam, you know, what do you think? What do you, do you th- how do you think they'll do going forward? And he said, I think they've missed their chance and I don't know when they'll get another one. And, and to be honest, look, things can change quickly in football. We all know that. We've seen we've seen that on many, many occasions. But right right now, as we talk, I mean, he's been proved right, hasn't he? I mean, it's it is it's hard to see in the near future Torquay getting anywhere near a chance like that again. But as I say, things can change quickly. Um but yeah, it was just an incredible game. One that I will always remember, um, most notably for... It's funny because every time I've ever mentioned the Kovalan goal on, on Twitter, um, it, it's funny because I can guarantee that within seconds there will be loads of Hartlepool fans will reply with, yeah, but who won it in the end? <laughs> <laughs> Which I totally get and I, I can totally understand that. But it, it it's it, it's like the moment that you will always remember from the game which is just weird when, of course, the, the player who scored it, his team didn't win it. So, yeah, I mean, I suppose it just adds to the madness of that whole that whole day, really. And, and it, it was such a strange day in so many ways, because as you said yourself, you know, the whole COVID factor around it, the fact that we were in a stadium where it wasn't just a handful of fans, there was actually quite a lot, you know, and that in, that in itself was just really nice about that day. It felt like football, it felt like... I don't know, it just felt normal again, in a way. It just felt like we had a bit of normality and it was special in that respect. I thought Ashton Gate made a great job of the whole day as well. Um, But to answer your original question, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent because there's so many things about that day that I do remember. But yeah, I think that, I think at the time, I remember thinking that um, that they were could feel hard done by. Maybe decisions could have gone another way on, on a different day, yeah. The issue is, is that for us as Torquay fans is that we're now what, you know, two years on or almost, and we're still talking about it, which is, and if we'd, if we'd added another run, like almost like Adam Virgo said to you by the sounds of it, like it, it felt very much like that summer, we kind of, we lost Connor Lemonhead Evans, we lost Carl Cameron, you know, Aaron Namain went, like, it was like, oh, you know, what's, what's happening here then? Like, we're going to have to, we're going to need a rebuild. Um, we don't, mm. we don't have the same money. We had the, the first time we were in the conference where we were kind of the, the big hitters, um, you know, coming and poaching the best players off other conference clubs. We were like, oh, okay, we're, we're here. We've got to, we're going to dig in again now and, uh, you know, tr- try and do what we can. Well, the thing with Torquay, it, take, it always takes at least two years to build a, ch- a side that can challenge for a promotion. And when you lose a game like that, you know full well that certain players are going to get 
either offers from higher league, better financial offers, arguably offers that are closer to home because that's one of the downfalls of Torquay is because it's so far away from every, I mean, you know, Yeovil's class is a local derby, but it's still a, it's still a pain to drive to on Boxing <laughs> Day. Um, obviously, the, the main, like you touched on it, the, the main point of that day, the talking point is the Lucas Kovland goal. And I mean, it became a real thing for Torquay that season with Gary time, which I think it might have been one of your things that you, your lines that you came up with it at one point, because it was even from the first game that we had against Stockport, I think it was. And then there was a couple of early games we were on telly and, you know, the Gary time thing, it really, Gary time goals really became a thing. But that was just the most bonkers thing that could ever happen. And I, I couldn't describe what happened in the, 30 seconds after that goes in but obviously as a commentator I can, I, can, I can imagine maybe sometimes you've got I don't know if you ever have sort of a line prepared or you think you know that player if he scores you've you've maybe got something you can say about him but what's it like and how do you react to that when something so extraordinary happens um I think as a commentator probably in that circumstance where it is so quite extraordinary um, I found, and it just is something that I just kind of do naturally, really, as a football fan, is I just let myself be washed away in the moment, really, which might sound a little strange to people, but I think it, that is what people, I think, I can't say everybody, but I think a lot of viewers want to hear that. They want to feel like the person who's talking about that game or talking about their team or talking about that extraordinary moment is feeling it as they are. Now, the challenge as a commentator is to obviously find the appropriate words at the same time. I understand that. Um, but I think you do, to a degree, just have to let yourself be washed away in the moment. And that's kind of what happened with me, really. I remember Adam and I stood on the gantry very high up at Ashton Gate. It was exceptionally high gantry there. And um, almost, almost Wembley high, actually. That's what it felt like anyway, in terms of the view of the players. Um and I remember Adam and I, when that goal went in, and I can't remember another, we've had some extraordinary moments covering that, Lee, but I can't remember another moment where we both sort of turned and looked at each other and just had our eyes and our mouths wide open for a second. You know, it was it was like, what on earth just happened? <laughs> and then I think, I mean, I can't remember my exact words, but I think I pretty much said, I, I can't believe what I've just seen. <laughs> you know, it was just... Truly extraordinary. Are you are um, you aware in a moment like that 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 uh, I suppose you try not to be aware that that your commentary kind of does it like it, it has the potential to go into kind of fan folklore. I mean, we still talk about commentary from different talkie games down the years, and, and yeah. that one as well. Like, are you aware of that when you're talking? Like, oh, this will be something that they will talk about. Well, I suppose that you know the challenge for a commentator when chaos is going on around you is to find the right words. You're always mindful of that and you're always mindful. The bigger the game, the more likelihood there is that your commentary could be played back for years to come, or it's something that fans might, you know, if you're lucky enough, they might even take to their hearts. You know, that's, that is a big thing of, of uh, covering big games is that, you know, that what you say will be remembered. I mean, I, you know, the amount of times that, that Tranmere fans have got in touch with me and said we, you know, quoted to me word for word everything I said when they got promoted and Grimsby fans have done the same last season. And obviously as a commentator, I'm not, I'm going to sit here and lie to you. You love that because you think that's, you know, I've done something right then, haven't you? You know, if people remember that and they've taken it to their hearts and, 
you know, that that is a good thing, I suppose, for, for a commentator. But I don't think if you're asking me in that actual moment, in the seconds it's happening, is that anywhere near your thoughts? Not for me, it isn't, though. You know, you're not thinking I've got to deliver a, an incredible line here. I think it's just something that comes organically and, and naturally. And, and then that's where the best, you know, you can have, you know, to borrow what you said earlier, you can have ideas of things that you might say in mind for a particular scenario. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but there are certain scenarios where it's just totally and utterly off the cuff. And, and that was certainly one of the, that was certainly very firmly um, in that bracket. And as I say, I, I just let myself get rather washed away in the moment. One thing I would say as well with that was that on that day, um, Gemma, our director, I thought picked some unbelievably good shots. Um, and that's something that doesn't get talked about enough with commentary is that the focus is on the commentator on my job, but very often you can be slightly led in terms of what you're saying and the direction it goes in by the pitches that you're being given because you're talking to pitches quite a lot of the time. And Gemma, Gemma and I, our director that day, gave me some brilliant shots. I mean, the one of, um, I think it was Reese Oates just sat in, it's because he'd been taken off and he was just sat there with his, just his head slumped. Um, there was the shot of the, Hartlepool fans in the stand who, who just stood there shaking their heads and couldn't believe what they were seeing. In fact, one of those fans actually contacted me on, on Twitter some weeks later and said, that, that, that was me. <laughs> I was in that shot. So, um, yeah, she gave me some great shots and that certainly helped in the way that I was able to describe. And it led me quite a bit in what I said um, after the very initial shock of the goal that, that you got across that. Yeah. So lots of factors. I must admit, I think you did it total justice for some, something so ridiculous. I think you did it total justice. And it's it's something that Thanks. I try not to watch it too often because it's I can imagine, it, it does yeah. bring back bad memories. But whenever you see it, it's just it will stay with you forever. And you're right about commentary lines. I mean, I've got for Christmas years ago, I got a T-shirt of Tim Sills, that silhouette of Tim Sills heading in the winner at Wembley when we last got promoted from the National League. And yeah. um underneath is Steve Bowers commentary so it's you yeah. know those things everything but I also thought you did a really one of my favorite lines of yours was when we beat Notts County and you did the line for Danny Wright's goal because that was kind of doing the rounds on social media quite a lot we said Danny Wright at the double that's one that we were all listening to for day I think pretty much on repeat until the playoff final so those sort of lines do stay with fans for forever really uh I think we would have listened to your Covenant commentary more if it hadn't ended the way it had. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> fully understandable, yeah. I mean, I, I felt so sorry for Torquay that day. I really did, um, it, because it was so close. And, and you know, as I say, every single year when we have these playoff campaigns, that it's a whole season on the line. I, I always compare it to snakes and ladders. It, it, it's because, the, I mean, and what better example could you have of that really of Torquay situation right now? I mean, I mean, it's it, it's just so it's the best way ever, isn't it, to go up? But it is it hurt. It must hurt so much when it doesn't go your way, and uh, and I suppose it's been compounded by the way things have gone since. And look, from Gary's point of view, I mean, a lot of people have said, you know, we expected Gary to reinvent it and expected them to go again, but you know, as Adam's always pointed out in the commentary when we've discussed this, I mean, it's it's. Ins exceptionally difficult to just go and totally reinvent a whole team again at that level of football. You know, this is not an easy thing to do. And um, 
you know, even for somebody as experienced as him to go out and just find those gems, those rough diamonds over and over again is exceptionally difficult to do. And, and I have to say, I'm not surprised that Torquay have, have had the struggles that they have. Um, I would still hope from, from your perspective that he will be able to uh, ultimately in time, you know, put together another side, but um, it, it, it isn't easy at all at this level of football without a, a heavy level of investment that we've seen at the likes of you know, Salford and, and Wrexham and, and maybe one or two others we could mention. Well, to be honest, I think it just is, it's taken a bit of time over the summer. I, don't, I, I think he can, my personal view is that he can build a team, but he, he needs a little bit of wiggle room in his budget. Like uh, uh, watching us against Aldershot the other week, we, we were a different team, really, to what we'd seen. In, but but we're also a different team in personnel. In a, the, yeah. the lone players he brought in, it just it just takes a it just takes a bit of time. Um, if you if you're not going to throw money, and, and we we always get. I mean, you probably see it in, in in some of the research you do. Fans are always just saying, "Oh, what, what, I just don't understand why he doesn't go and get a twenty goal a season striker." And it's like, well. You know, if he could, he would. <laughs> yeah, they're not easy to get, are they? Uh, yeah. And the other thing as well is, that, and it's a concern of mine as somebody who's covered this level of football for a long time and I've grown to love it. And I think I'll still follow it if one day I'm not covering it anymore. It's, it's the fact that because we are seeing such ambition at this level of football and so much investment in some clubs, that there's almost becoming a fear for me that we could see a, re a, a total and utter disparity in terms of the top end of the league and the bottom end of the league in terms of you know, one of the great things about the National League that I've always really enjoyed is that you do get the surprises, the inconsistencies. You can get teams really surprised. And maybe there's the fear of, in me that that might become less and less if, you know, you've got a striker like Paul Mullion who's, I don't know what he earns a week, but, you know... <laughs> Yeah. I can imagine it's 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 quite a bit for that level of football. It, he, he might be earning, you know, similar to, in, a, in a week to what the whole squad at one of the lower clubs could be earning. So, you know, how sustainable is that in the long run would be a worry for me. And, and how big a gap will that will form between the top end and the bottom end of the league? That That's a big concern. No, as a, as a I mean, I know I'm a talkie fan, but that's exactly what I enjoy is, is that sometimes you get a team that, are really good grafters or you know or they just happen to click as a unit and and sometimes that's enough and that's you know that's that's the joy of kind of watching yeah. this level of football as, as far as I'm concerned as a fan yeah well that was what it was like with Sutton the year that we didn't go up yeah absolutely you know, spot on yeah. they didn't I'm not sure what their budget was but they weren't a team that threw loads and loads of money at Macclesfield them. were another one yeah and, and Barrow the year before teams that have actually yeah. like, do you know what they've they've just built a good team and have done well, in it. and that's what I've always liked about the league. I mean, I th I think there's surely soon should be a discussion maybe about three up, three down because it, it has to be. Yeah, has to be. You know, you you see clubs come down, and don't get me wrong, I think it's great that those teams go up, but you you look at it and League Two and some of League One, even I know they do well financially, but you know Forest Green, you think of they're not a cliche League One side. They're not what you think of as a League One side with the size of the club, but you know, the the conference or the National League is full of clubs that really are League Two, League One standard. So it's, it is, yeah, I, th I think there's, there should be a conversation about three up, three down. Soon. Well, it's, it's created a bottleneck, hasn't it? Um, and, and now that you've got these, these clubs, I mean, a club like Wrexham, for instance, I mean, 
they're just going to keep, and I, this isn't a criticism before anyone interprets it as one, they're just going to keep throwing money at it until they go up. And and look, you know, they're not doing anything outside of the rules. They've every right to do that. So why not? And and just go and do it. I, I always said, I didn't think that they would walk the league like a lot of, the, well, certainly the bookies predicted pre-season. Um, Notts County, it would appear, are going to keep them honest as, as well. And, and there are some others sort of, I wouldn't say hanging on to their coattails, but if, if Wrexham were to have a, a, a poor run, then there are other clubs behind them, Chesterfield being one, Solly Huller up there as well, aren't they? You know, who could still perhaps be in the conversation. But um, yeah, the, the bottleneck is that, that is there. I mean, Notts County, what is it, three seasons in a row now they've been in the playoffs. It's so, so difficult to get out of this league. And, and whilst I think that the change that they made by putting the playoffs down to seventh, I think that I was sceptical at the time. I know Adam was, Adam Virgo was particularly sceptical when they decided to do that. Um, but he said since that, look, I got that wrong. I think it's worked out brilliantly. And that is a change that they made that really did work. But I totally, I 100% agree with you. I think that the, the time came a long time ago, in my opinion, that, that we have to have two automatic promotion spots in the National League because it's 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 creating problems now and and it's it's bad for the pyramid in my opinion that they're not doing it. I just feel like we we've definitely um, the the bottom half of League Two. I, I think uh, actually yeah, it'd be keen for your perspective on it as a commentator. That like the bottom half of League Two, it just feels like they're maybe not as good as that as that kind of top six chunk of of the National League because of that bottleneck like is that is that something you think from the games you watched well well I don't watch enough of league 2 to, to sort of give a, a true analysis of that but what I would say is that I look year in year out at the clubs who go up and I know that um people would point to the fact that Stockport have maybe not made the progress as quickly as people thought they might do so I accept that but because I was one who thought that they would really fly and, and would get promoted again. Um, but that withstanding, if you look at the record of teams who've gone up, I mean, they consistently stay up, don't they? Um, and you only have to listen to the players and the managers as well. I mean, I, I can't think off the top of my head of when a player or manager has been asked about this, where they've not just said, yeah, I mean, it's a very similar standard. I mean, I was, I was reading an interview before I spoke to you, and I think it was John Askey, and he said, look, there isn't really much difference between the National League and League Two. He said, but when you go up to League One, yes, there is a difference then. You would notice it then. But he says, the National League, League Two, not a huge difference. And I, and I think that is a theme that is repeated year after year after year. And there has to be validity in, in, in that when you're hearing the same opinion so many times from people within the game. Do, do you ever like? Do you ever think there's a way that, that that bottleneck, as you were calling it, can can be cleared? Because because I mean, everyone says that turkeys don't vote for Christmas. It takes it takes the League Two clubs to decide that they want another relegation place. Which I mean, yeah. I could, yeah. When we were in League Two, we were often down the wrong end of the table, and I can I can imagine our board wouldn't be voting for it. Well, I think I've said this as well before. I think that from the clubs that are in League Two, and you're right. I mean, people would say, "What? Well, why would turkeys vote for Christmas?" I understand that. But I actually think that football, and this isn't just to do with this particular issue, but football is is very short-sighted at times, very short-term, never sees the medium to long-term picture. And people would say understandably, and, and I, ex I accept there is, 
to a degree. I do understand why, because it is a very short-term industry. We have to see how long managers last in jobs to understand that. And every manager will look at it and say, well, you know, I might not be here this time next year. You know, it is that type of industry. But, you know, when you see clubs, big clubs that have been relegated from League Two and have found it and have taken, I mean, even my local team, Mansfield Town, I mean, they took a number of years to get back up. You know, surely it's a bit short-sighted not to try and almost future-proof that and say, well, if we vote for two up or three up, whichever way you want, two up automatically, three up overall, we protect ourselves in the future for if we are fortunate enough to have a bad season and we go down, you know, it'll be a damn sight easier for us to get back up again. So there isn't that, for me, if I were a chief executive at a League Two club, I would see that not necessarily as a negative, but as 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 future. It depends which way you look at it, doesn't it, really? Mm-hmm. But knowing how hard it is to get out of that league historically and knowing how easy it can be to have a rough ride and have a poor season and find yourself in a position you didn't expect yourself to be in, I'd say it's almost a little bit of an insurance policy for clubs in League Two, but nobody ever seems to look at it in that way. Certainly not the, certainly not in terms of um, when it's discussed as as a possibility. The League Two clubs show no interest at all in in, in bringing that in. That's an interesting argument I I hadn't actually heard before. So um, yeah, it, I mean I I think yeah if if the day ever came up, I think it would be, it would make a lot of difference because like you say, I think the turning the playoffs to the top. Well, the six, the top seven, but the six after the first. Obviously, I think I think that made it good because it it gives everyone that little bit more, even perhaps incentive. You know that towards the end of the season, if you think actually we can catch the seventh place. You know, if you're if you're down in twelfth, absolutely, or something, yeah. you can. It incentivizes a little bit and it makes it that little bit more competitive. But yeah, it's 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 a tough league. I mean, we we've got a. Talky fans, and I think maybe others have kind of got come to know as, as the bastard league because it is, it is a really tough, really tough. <laughs> I won't say that on a. No, I was going to say you might, <laughs> you might have a beep there, beat. <laughs> but it, it is such, such a tough league. But you know, ultimately, it's the entertainment we get mostly when we're doing well. But you know, how many how many leagues would bottom of the league on? you know, really, really bad run and off the back of losing 4-0 to Notts go and put six past an inform older shot team. Well, we haven't mentioned yet, and I can't believe we've been talking for this long. We haven't mentioned yet. You're four all. I mean, that's that's probably the best game I've seen this season. And I've seen a lot. <laughs> I mean, it was absolutely incredible entertainment. Um, wow, what a football match that was. And I have to say, look, when I when I was covering that game and I remember just beforehand saying to Adam, I'm not sure about this today. I'm not sure what we're going to get from this or how good it's going to be when you looked at the form guide and you thought, mm. but then I, I think I said as well, look, sometimes it's the games that you don't expect that surprise you. And boy, wow. Did that surprise us? What, what an unbelievable match. You well, must was, have absolutely loved that. What a it game. It was funny before, before I, I went and before the game, we were all kind of saying in the pub before, because the great thing about a late kickoff is you get a couple of hours extra before the game. We were saying, yeah. This isn't going to be a money spinner for the advertisement on BT this week. <laughs> it, it didn't scream. It didn't scream kind of high, high viewers. But and, and even at halftime, I went for a drink just before halftime, and I think we just thought uh, it was a really, really bad first half from Torquay. I don't think we had a oh yeah an attempt really bad. And um, my one thing I bones pit with Adam Virgo if he chose man of the match was Jordan Hume, the number nine for Ultram, I think was robbed. <laughs> But <laughs> it was 
it was so talky, even when, you know, we're winning 3-2 and you're thinking, right, this is great, we're back in it. Of course, you go back to, you know, that silly red card, which by all accounts, yeah. the manager said that he he got a hefty fine for that because I think it was... Crazy. It was from that yeah. resulting free kick that they ended up getting their equaliser from and then obviously went on to get get the lead. But then you can never write off talk. And I always say... It's whenever we're on telly that we seem to do something because I think Gary Johnson's got an ego that won't allow him to get <laughs> done over on telly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just just brilliant. I mean, I think I said after the game, thank you so much to both sets of players yeah. for, for that entertainment because uh, it was just, just so many different things happened. I mean, it just had pretty much everything, that game of football. And I, I mean, again, at half time. Adam and I were talking to the people behind the scenes at, at BT, the people you know working on things like sound and, and the director and what have you in the ad break. And, and we said, I mean, what is going on here with Torquay? I mean, this, this could be four or five or six. I mean, they're just all over the place. I remember at the end of the first half, Altrincham would get the ball about five yards outside the Torquay box and there was no pressure on the ball whatsoever. It was almost like, go on then, just come at us, have a shot. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I was like... I'd never really seen that before. It was just so weird. It was like, what are they doing? And then the start of the second half, I mean, it was like, it was like the twin brothers had gone in at half time and the, the, two <laughs> brothers, the other ones had come out of the second half. It was just completely different. And yeah, just, yeah, just fantastic. Absolutely brilliant entertainment. I've got a couple of quick fire questions kind of before we uh, finish. The first one, I, I'm originally from London, so I've, I do follow West Ham. Um, was how how much of a bad choice was that for a promotion final venue? It didn't didn't look great on the telly with some of the stand missing and it being in a sort of concert and athletics mode. Yeah, well, I disagree slightly actually because I actually thought it worked out better than many people expected it to do. Um, I have, but from a commentator's perspective. Um, I mean, and again, that this is from a very selfish perspective. I enjoyed it. I, I thought that um, the atmosphere was better than I expected it to be as well. And that said, from from the point of view that you're coming from, I suspect location might be one of the reasons that you mentioned that. And I think that everybody understood that it was that it was difficult to get the right location in the circumstances. And when it had to be picked so far in advance, I think that was hmm. difficult as well. And it would be you know, the way things worked out. I mean, I suppose it's a bit of sod's law, really, that you'd have, I mean, I know Solihull's, it's not Northern, is it? But you know what I mean? It's not Southern either. So you ended up with um, with with two teams who, um, you know, it wasn't ideal, let's shall we say, the location. And I totally understand that from a fan's perspective, the location was was far from ideal. Um, you know, people have, and, and if you say, you know, you follow West Ham, you know, everyone's always talked about the distance that it is from the pitch as well. So I understand, understand that too. But yeah, I think the league got a lot of a lot of criticism for that. But and I've got a little bit of insight into how difficult that situation mm -hmm. was for no, them. I can imagine. Um, and, I, and I think that I thought that they took with the little bit of information that I had, I thought that they took more stick for that than was fair, if I'm honest. Um, it was very difficult situation to get a, a ground because all the Premier League clubs' pitches were already ripped up. Um, so that made it difficult. Wembley was out of commission, obviously. 
Um, so it wasn't easy. Um, but I do accept that. You know, I totally respect people who didn't like it as a venue, but I, I felt that it was a little bit better than maybe I'd anticipated. And have you got a favourite um, a favourite ground of the National League to comment, commentate on, both for commentary Ooh. reasons and is there anywhere where... And why is it playing more? Yeah. <laughs> is there anywhere that look after the media better than others? Um, what, in the National who, League? Who does the best prawn sandwiches is what I want to know. Well, <laughs> overall, my best prawn sandwiches, although I've not actually had prawn sandwiches, but their food, <laughs> the best I would say is Arsenal, if I my overall. Yeah. Um, they have the best food for press. Spurs are right up there as well, actually. But um, National League grounds, that's a great question. You just get a pie and chips, don't you? <laughs> I'd say, yeah, I'd say one of my, the best lasagna I've ever had uh, is Notts County. Um, they, they, they make a mean, and, and I actually would put them right up there as well in terms of the view at Meadow Lane, the, 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 the position of the, of the press of, of the gantry there it's actually in the stand uh, i really like the view there at Notts county so that would be right up there um <laughs> the night they've been promoted last season but grimsby was one of the ones that when i i liked going to grimsby for the team and the people and and what have you but the the way we had to get to the gantry whenever i got the the call that we're going to grimsby struck fear into me because you had to climb through the roof to get to the gantry um <laughs> And on a windy night, I can tell you that that is um, a little nervy. Yeah, because you, you have to climb a little ladder to go through the roof and then you have to walk across the roof, which is a very old roof. <laughs> and in the background, you can see the, the North Sea. And as you're walking across the roof, you then have to walk to a, another hole, essentially, that takes you down another ladder into the gantry. Um, and I don't like ladders. Uh, so, and then when you're coming down that next ladder, all the fans can see you. So it, you get in the old, ooh, you know, type thing as you're coming down the ladder. So I've, I've had some awful ladders over the years. I can tell you covering the national league. Um, yeah, some, somewhere I've, I've, I've been thinking I'm a dad of two children. I have to get up this ladder and survive, you know, type situation. Um, people, people. I I can't picture many National League stadiums where I'd be happy walking along the roof. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't enjoy that. As I say, I mean, I liked. I liked the the, the stadium and everything. Other than that, but uh, yeah, the, the, it's 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 a wide variety of experiences. Shall, shall we say, cover it as a football commentator, the ladders that you go up and. Yeah, I've had some worrying experiences going. Up. I mean, I suppose if you go up ladders up and down all day, every day, like a, I don't know, like a a painter and decorator or something like that. I probably wouldn't think twice about it, but um, Adam always used to take my fear of ladders. Uh, he used to laugh a lot at me <laughs> going up and down ladders. It was a source of great banter. <laughs> uh, I don't think I've got anything else, Steve. Uh, only only uh, in your in your uh, experiences of, of, of doing Talk United this season, are there any chinks of light that we can look at going forward? Or do you think we're in for a long, hard relegation slog? Well, I mean, I, I suppose the, the chinks of light I can offer are, the, are your last two performances. I mean, holding a League One club to a draw, um, the money that will come from that will be handy, I would imagine as well, come January. You know, to be on TV potentially again, uh, as I've seen the, the picks, that if they were to surprise everyone and get through the replay, that they would be on TV again. So that money will help Gary, as will the money they've already got in the coffers from 
the previous rounds, you know, beating Aldershot 6-1. I know it's not a great Aldershot side, but that's an emphatic win. And, and you know, if you can't build on a 6-1 win, what can you build on? Uh, and then holding a League One club as well. So, and the manner in which they did that too, to, to equalise right at the end with the goalie forward again. I mean, it gave me Kovalam uh, f- flashbacks. Um, so they're, they're certainly positives. Uh, the second half performance against Altrincham would be a, a real positive. The fight that they showed in that. I mean, that wasn't a team that wasn't playing for the manager. So that's another positive that I would take from it. But what Gary can do in, in the loans market is going to be important in January as well. I mean, what, uh, to use a, an old footballing cliche, rabbits, can he pull out the hat? I mean, I think that's going to be a big one. I just look at Gary as well and, you know, the atmosphere, and the way that he's able to get people to follow him. I think that's going to be so important in the second half of the season because you're in a, you know, you're in a scrap. There's, there's no getting away from that. You are in a scrap. And you know, the ability of somebody like Gary to get people to follow him, to, to, to pull in the same direction as him. I mean, that is a major asset, in my opinion, in a relegation battle to, to be able you know, I know Gary will have had his critics among the Torquay fans this season, and I understand why. You know, you're not bottom, is you're not bottom by accident. Let's put it that way. But I, I really do believe that in, in Gary that that Torquay have got somebody who can get them out of this. I really, I'm not everyone will agree with that. I accept that, and the Torquay fans who will watch them a lot more than I do. You two might disagree with that, um, but it, I just think watching Gary over the years, he's he's just. Bit Pied Piper esque, isn't he? Sometimes he's just got that ability to motivate people, to get people to believe, and like he's done when he's got you in the playoffs in the past, and that could well be really important. No, to be honest, I think, I, yeah. I, I, I think Sam and I are probably on the same page for this anyway. But it, it has talky fans have been a bit split this season, um, but he for a lot of fans, I, I think we've always gone well. If not Gary, then who? Um, yeah. Yeah, good point. Uh, yeah. And 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 from what I've seen, like I, like much like you said there, I, I just don't like we played badly. We played badly quite a lot, but I've always seen them. Like I, I've seen us in relegation teams where they aren't really playing for the manager, and I haven't really seen that yet from us. So yeah, I've seen bad performances, but it's not. Um, you know, yeah, I, I've seen some some worse talking United sides. <laughs> I yeah, I'm I I wouldn't. Yeah, I'm. I'm seeing from the same hymn sheet. I there's something about him. I mean, I I met him towards the end of last season at like a sponsors meet and greet or something, and um, I just crumbled. Sort of short little old man. I I just I didn't know what to say to him. I was like, this is this is ridiculous. I don't get starstruck, but I I was like, he was like, you're right. I was like, eh, fine. <laughs> um. So yeah, he he's got he's got this awe about him, and I think you know it's the tone on social media. It's amazing what a week can do. Um. So. Yeah. Hopefully we're all right. And um, yeah, I can't remember when we're next on BT, but I'll be looking forward to uh, getting a shout out. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I'll be looking forward to, uh, yeah, hearing hearing your, your commentary again, especially if thank you. Time we're playing away from home. Um, no, thank uh, you. Just, just last thing as well, Adam, just um, uh, it, where, where can our listeners kind of hear more from you? Where can they find you online? Where can they hear you on the airwaves? Well, online, I've, I'm, I am on Twitter. It's uh, Adam Summerton, at Adam Summerton. It's quite simple, that one. And just regularly um, commentate on lots of different things, really. Uh, Champions League, Europa League, National League, Premier League, Women's Champions League, BT Sports, uh, zone, World Feed stuff. I'm pretty busy, really, so I'm sure I'll be on a game that someone will listen to somewhere fairly soon. Yeah, but this weekend with the National League I'm doing, we've got um, Alteringham and York 
this weekend. I'm I'm literally doing in the middle of the prep for that right now. And then I'm doing Juve and Lazio on Sunday night as well for any, anyone who likes a bit of Serie A. So that's what I'm doing this week. So, uh, but thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And it's, it's been, it was good to reminisce about that Kovalan moment. Yeah, it was fantastic. Goal. No, thanks very much for coming on. It's, uh, yeah, much appreciated. Pleasure.